your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 10, as we continue to make our way through this text of Scripture and see the revelation of God to His people. Have you ever thought, what will it take for God to get that boy's attention? You know, that rebellious 22-year-old kid who grew up in the church, he's heard the gospel, he was taught the word, he's heard, thus saith the Lord, but he's been in rebellion against God. And there, be, there have been these moments, these periods, where tragedy has struck. And it seems at the end of each of those tragic events, he bounces right back and right back at it again. And so we wonder, what will it take for God to get his attention? That's what it seems like the narrative in Exodus, beginning in chapter 5 and 6, feels like for ancient Egypt and Pharaoh. What will it take? What tragic event next must occur in order for that boy, in order for Pharaoh to listen and obey for God to get his attention. This narrative progresses much like what we have seen throughout these other plague narratives. The first two verses, Moses and Aaron are gonna go stand before, or they're gonna hear the, the command from Yahweh to go to, to Pharaoh. Then we're going to see in this text that Moses and Aaron are going to obey God. They obey God. Pharaoh hears. Pharaoh rejects. Moses rains down the plagues. God rains down the plagues through Moses. Pharaoh calls a timeout. Moses, Aaron, please come to my aid. Moses intercedes on behalf of Pharaoh. God removes the plague. And we wait until next week. Or in Pharaoh's case, he waits until the next plague. And yet there are some things that are different here. For example, you're going to notice in just a few moments that normally after Pharaoh calls Moses back in, there's a dialogue between Moses and, and Pharaoh, but this time there's no dialogue between Moses and Pharaoh. Perhaps Moses is losing patience not only with Pharaoh, but maybe, maybe God here, and 
Moses knows there's no, there's no need. Why even engage Pharaoh? He's, he's not listening anymore. So we begin <coughs> in chapter 10 with verses 1 and 2 as Moses and Aaron hear from God himself. So notice these words beginning in chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have made his heart heavy. I have hardened his heart. And not only that of Pharaoh's, notice what the text says. The heart of his servants as well. For what purpose? That I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. And notice the end of verse 2, that you may know that I am the Lord. And so here it is. God summons Moses and Aaron back before his throne, if you will. And here God is going to give his divine imperative. He's going to give to Moses and to Aaron what their task is to be. But much like what we saw last time at the conclusion of chapter 9 in the seventh plague, Yahweh continues now here in this eighth plague to give us a little bit more in terms of understanding what Yahweh is really up to. And notice in this text, Yahweh is far more specific than he was last week. I want you, chapter 9, I want you to know that I am the Lord, but it's almost like God is saying to Israel, in case you misunderstand who the you is, let me be very specific to you. And that you, Israel, may tell in the hearing of whom? Your son and your grandson, how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians. We read from Psalm 145 just a few moments ago of God's desire that the generations may know who he is. This is one of the intended purposes of this entire narrative of God's dealing with Israel and God's dealing with Egypt. God has a desire that his people might know who he is, and that that knowing might be told to future generations to come. Yahweh isn't some local deity confined by time and space, nor is he local in the sense that he is only the God to a group of people who exists at a certain time and in a certain location and a certain place. Much like what we see unfold in the totality of the text of Scripture, no, God has a passion for all peoples to know exactly 
who he is. I want your sons and your grandsons to know who I am and how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I've done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. We learned this purpose of Yahweh back in chapter 9, as I just mentioned a few moments ago. Look back in chapter 9, and you'll see this concluding remark at the end of verse 14. So that you may know there is none like me. Where? In all the earth. There is no God like Yahweh. But we're, we're going to learn as this narrative progresses, it's not only for the nation of Israel, for God's people that he desires they know him. It's not only for future generation of Israelites that God desires that they too may know him. Look at Exodus chapter 14 and verse 4 and hear what Yahweh has to say as we approach this final plague, if you will, in this narrative. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. See what God is saying? God is at work among the Israelites, and among the Egyptians, so that both the Israelites and the Egyptians might know who he is. God's desire and the totality of this narrative is for his covenant people, ancient Israel, to be reaffirmed, to be reminded that they are indeed God's people and that God, through his covenant with Abraham and by extension to them, is still faithful to his people. This is also what we read a few moments ago in Psalm 145. It's as though the Israelites in some measurable way are testing the faithfulness of God and God is saying to them, no, I am not unfaithful to you. I am being very faithful to you. I want you and your sons and your grandsons to know exactly who I am. So Pharaoh gives to Moses and Aaron this divine imperative. Notice next in verses three through six, Moses and Aaron are going to respond to God. Verse three, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me, that they may come out and worship me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hell, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all of the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went 
out from Pharaoh. What's Moses' complaint against Pharaoh? What seems to be Pharaoh's problem? Moses poses it to him in a question. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before the Lord? And friends, this might well be a beautiful description of exactly what sin is. Sin is refusal on my behalf and your behalf to humble ourselves before the Almighty Lord, before God Himself. See, pride exalts the self. Pride places ourself in the position of a God. Pride places us as though we are violating that first commandment that God will give to the, Egyptian, to the Israelites in a, in a few moments in the text of Scripture. You shall have no other God before me. In pride, we set ourselves up as that other God before God. Rebellion against Yahweh. Refusal to humble ourselves before God. And this seems to be the exact problem for Pharaoh. We've seen it now time and time and time and time and time again. There is no doubt the text of Scripture has pitted for us these two beings who claim divinity, Yahweh and Pharaoh. And Pharaoh continues to stiffen his will and respond in stubbornness against God because he's not at the moment where he's willing to humble himself and make an acknowledgement. He is not God. And so we wonder, what will God have to do in order to get this boy's attention? There's another sermon being played. (laughs) Thank you, Susan. Where were we? Yeah. Give me a second. This should be no surprise to us. We see in this narrative, this paradigm played over and over and over and over again. But it's also, friends, while we get statements such as this from Paul in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, as Paul is laying this foundation that all people apart from Christ, stand in rebellion against God. How is sin, how is your rebellion today going to affect your life tomorrow and next week and next year, and next year if you don't repent of that rebellion? 
Paul answers that question for us in Romans chapter one. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. And then Paul continues, what does that rebellion elicit? What does that level of rebellion cause? For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the males likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Romans 1 is beautifully depicted in a number of ways throughout this narrative with Pharaoh as Pharaoh continues in rebellion against God. What does rebellion earn you? More rebellion. What does more rebellion earn you? Further rebellion. Paul, (coughs) as he was on his journeys of proclaiming the gospel to the known world in areas where the gospel had not yet gone forth, in Acts chapter 19, he finds himself here in Ephesus, and listen to what the Bible says. And for three Sabbaths, for th- sorry, for three months, he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading with them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn, listen at, listen at the transgression of their, of, their, of their rebellion against God. They were stubborn. Then notice what the text says. They continued in unbelief. And then notice what the text says. Speaking evil of the way before the congregation. Paul, as he's preaching the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ depicts what rebellion does in the heart of one who rejects Jesus as Lord. It moves from stubbornness to full-blown rebellion such that they even now begin to attack the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, my friends, is exactly what is happening in Pharaoh's heart, but it doesn't just happen in Pharaoh's heart. It happens in your heart and in my heart when we refuse to humble ourselves before the Lord. And so the question then not becomes 
what is God going to have to do to get such and such's attention? The question becomes, what is God going to have to do to get your attention and my attention? Notice for Pharaoh the intensity of the effects of the plagues. The economy has been destroyed. Yes, there's been some loss of life. But notice what happens in this text. Verse 7, Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the, the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? And Moses said to him, Everybody. We're going to go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters. We will go with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you. If ever I let you and your little ones go, look, you have some evil purposes in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locust, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the field and all the hell, all that the hell has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all the day and all the night. And when it was morning, the east wind had brought in the locusts. And the locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land, so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hell had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land. Economic devastation, some loss of life. Why do I say some loss of life? You remember last time the Lord gave the warning, hey, get all the cattle and all the people and put them in shelter. But we know from the text of Scripture that they didn't all listen. And so we see the effects of their rebellion against God, some loss of life and some loss of cattle, but notice what is happening here. The locusts are going to come and they're, going, and they're, they're, they're devouring every last bit of crop. In other words, intense starvation is going to hit the land. And what happens when intense starvation hits the land? Death. In fact, you're going to notice in just a few moments, Pharaoh himself is going to claim out, would you please remove this death from before me? Pharaoh understands the intended implications of exactly what this tragedy is going to bring about in terms of the land of Egypt. But notice, just like last time, 
there are a group of people that are beginning to pay attention to what God is saying. Did you see them there? Verse 7, then Pharaoh's servants came to him. How long shall this man be snare to us? Let them go that they may serve the Lord. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? They're leveling the charge in many ways against Pharaoh that as God, he doesn't even understand what is taking place among his own people or in his own land. Pharaoh is clueless, and God is not the only one in this text declaring to Pharaoh, you aren't the man you think you really are. Even Pharaoh's servants can see that Pharaoh isn't the God he supposes himself to be. So Moses does exactly what we would anticipate and what we've seen in the, in the past. The locusts come, they devour everything. <clears throat> and now, look what Pharaoh does. He's going to make a plea that everything stop immediately. Verse 16, then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Have we heard that confession before? Yes, last week, you'll remember, Pharaoh confesses this same thing. I've sinned. Help me out here, buddy. I've sinned against the Lord and against you. Now listen at these words from Pharaoh. Now therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove. Look what he says. Remove what? This death from me. Isn't that interesting? Pharaoh knows exactly where this narrative is heading. Pharaoh himself is acknowledging the truth, a truth of the gospel. What what are the wages of sin, friend? Death. The wages of sin are death. Even this hard-hearted, rebellious, stubborn, stiff-necked, callous, cold, rebellious man understands this truth of the gospel, understands exactly what rebellion against the one true living God will indeed bring upon all people. Your sin and my sin will indeed bring the judgment of God through death upon you and upon me.
But Moses doesn't respond. Moses doesn't get into a conversation with Pharaoh. Verse 18, look at the text of scripture. Moses is going to intercede. So he went out from Pharaoh and pled with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go. Let me take just a quick time out and give you an interesting fact. From which direction did the wind initially come? East. Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Adam and Eve rebel against God. God gives Adam and Eve the consequences of their sins. And in what direction did God place Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden? Do you remember what the text says? East. You remember the next story that comes along in Genesis chapter 4? It's with who? Cain and Abel. Cain is a wicked brother. He's going to kill his brother. And in what direction did he head? East. It should be no surprise to the reader of the text of Scripture that a move from the east or toward the east is a move or a sign of God's judgment. That's just an interesting little fact as you read through the Pentateuch. Place it in the back of your mind, and the next time you read the narrative, notice the use of a movement from the east. So Moses intercedes. Moses goes before the Lord, Pharaoh. He doesn't respond to Pharaoh. He goes before the Lord and makes a plea with the Lord. And the Bible says that not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But Pharaoh's got a further problem. His heart has now been strengthened even further against the Lord, and he does not let his people go. We learn a number of interesting things from this text of Scripture, particularly as as we think about sin For example, we learn from this text of Scripture that sin blinds our judgment. What's Pharaoh's problem? He's in rebellion against God. His eyes have been darkened. He can't see. This sin in Pharaoh's life is blinding his, his judgment, his good judgment. Good judgment would, would be for Pharaoh to listen to his, to his advisors. Do you not know that all the land of Egypt has been destroyed? It lays in ruin. 
And friend, by extension, might you also learn this morning, sin clouds your judgment. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised what happens in your heart today left unchecked, how it manifests itself tomorrow and a year from now. We hear stories almost every single day in Baton Rouge of men who are being arrested for the most vile sexual sins a culture understands. But do you know, even young men, but young man X didn't just open up the computer one day and start looking at childhood images that he should not have been participating in or recording those images. It started with unchecked lust in his heart. A man doesn't just end up being unfaithful in his marriage. No, the unfaithfulness started years ago with rebellion in his own heart when he didn't guard his own heart by looking at other women. And your next door neighbor who's guilty of murder didn't just walk out one day and decide to stick a knife 25 times in the torso of another human. It all started with unchecked hatred in the heart. See friends, sin blinds our good judgment. This is why the text of scripture says from Pharaoh's servants, don't you understand? Did Pharaoh understand? No. We also see from this text that my rebellion and your rebellion leads to increased pain. And so we ask the question, what is God going to have to do in order to get that person's attention? Pharaoh even acknowledges in the context of this passage of Scripture, please remove this death from me. But listen at Pharaoh's words again. Then Pharaoh, notice how the text of Scripture even defines what he did, hastily called Moses 
and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. Now therefore forgive me, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. You can almost hear Pharaoh's anger against God's messenger. You know what sin oftentimes does? In clouding our good judgment, it increases the anger in our hearts against God's messenger. And friends, oftentimes I hear that such and such doesn't attend church because that church was just simply too condemning. Can I rephrase that for you? Can I tell you what I really hear? That church preaches truth, and that truth stood as condemnation against my life, and I didn't like it. Thus, it's your fault. Now, friends, it, we still have a responsibility to be kind and gracious, and, and we should never be the stumbling block for someone and their refusal to participate in corporate worship or, or, to, know, or to know the Lord. Don't be foolish in the way in which we communicate it. But this progression of sin manifests itself in this way in this text of Scripture where it comes across as though Pharaoh is now angry at Moses and Aaron. It's got to be Moses and Aaron's fault. He hastily called them to come have a conversation. And lastly, this text reminds us that your sin and my sin invites the judgment of God. And this is exactly what's happening in the text of Scripture. Notice again in chapter 10, verse 1, then the Lord said, go to, go, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have made his heart heavy. I've hardened his heart, not only his heart, the heart of his servants. Come to the very end. Now the Lord strengthened or hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go. We should not be surprised that the further this narrative marches and the longer Pharaoh stands in rebellion against God, we should not be surprised that Pharaoh's heart continues to be strengthened and hardened against God. Your rebellion and my rebellion today, all it does is bring about greater rebellion. And there are three words used in this narrative to communicate the heaviness of the heart. The word that is primarily used is the word that occurs in chapter 10, verse 20, the strengthening of Pharaoh's will against the will of God. The second word that is used most often is this word that occurs here in chapter 10, verse 1. It means to, to make heavy. That's why I've said, for I have made his heart heavy. This word in Hebrew also can mean a, a burden or to be dull or unresponsive. You've actually seen this word occur before in the narrative and you didn't realize it. Hop back with me just real quickly to Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, 
I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but listen to this translation, but I am what? Literally the exact same word, I am heavy of mouth and tongue. It's a word that is often used in relationship to various organs of the human body, and when it's used, it talks about how they they don't work, how they're unresponsive. And so you can understand the context of this passage of Scripture is sin upon sin upon sin has been stacked against Pharaoh's heart. It should be no surprise that the heaviness, the weightiness of that sin upon Pharaoh's heart has weighed it down in such a way that his will, that his heart isn't responding rightly. See friends, sin invites the judgment of God. And you might think you can get away with God's judgment now but there is a coming final judgment of which neither you nor I nor anyone will escape. It's interesting, we come to Revelation chapter nine. Beginning in Revelation chapter eight through Revelation chapter seven, we're in this, this different uh, section with these, these seals, these angels, chapter nine, verse one, you have the fifth angel that blows Uh, his trumpet, and what is this trumpet that is going to be blown? What is it going to bring about? It's going to bring about the judgment of God, and what is this judgment of God defined as? It's defined as these locusts that are going to come and devour all things. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God upon their foreheads. These locusts are going to come and act as the judgment of God. It's an image of evil being unleashed against the world. Why? Because sin brings the judgment of God. So we ask, what will it take? But in this moment, I'm not talking about Pharaoh. And I'm not concerned with your neighbor. but you and me. What will it take in our lives for God to get our attention? So that we stop in our rebellion against him and humble ourselves before him and trust in him. Would you pray with me this morning?
Lord, we want to see, like Pharaoh's servant saw, We desire, God, to be aware of our rebellion and the effects of our rebellion against you. And so we plead with you this morning, God, that you would do that. That you, Spirit of God, at this moment, would work in our hearts and in our lives and reveal to us those ways in which we stand in opposition against you. And that we would trust in you. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and respond to the preaching of God's word? In what ways are you like Pharaoh? In what ways has rebellion gripped your heart? Is it through anger? Through pride? through lust, through hatred, or is it a combination of all of these things such that it might be said of you that you have a heavy heart that is no longer able to respond rightly to God? This, my friends, is an indication of 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Don't count God's patience towards you right now to be an exemption from God's judgment tomorrow. Patient today. Judging tomorrow. And did you hear the text? It will come like a thief in the night. Swiftly. Would you repent where you are this morning? And trust in God? Would you confess your sin before God this morning? Perhaps you're here today, friend, and you've never trusted in Christ. If your life were to end at this very moment, you would spend an eternity separated from God in Christ. The narrative of the gospel is such that yes, your sin brings about God's judgment, but God has not left us in a place where there is no hope against that judgment. 
God has granted us hope against that judgment through the giving of his son, Jesus. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's word. As we stand to sing, friend, if you're here and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, this will be an opportunity for you to take myself, to talk to myself or Pastor Travis about what it means to trust in Christ. But you don't have to come forward to talk to one of us. Please feel free to turn to one of your neighbors. They'll be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, if you'd like for one of us to pray with you, we would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you that you might respond rightly to the preaching of God's word. And thirdly, maybe God has impressed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you, may our response be pleasing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.